Welcome to the Fearless Fostering Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Burst, LCSW, a foster and adoptive and bio mama and a therapist in private practice. I'm here to help foster mamas feel seen, heard, and supported on their journey. From quick, actionable steps to make your foster care journey easier to interviews with foster and adoptive mamas, the Fearless Fostering Podcast delivers education and encouragement weekly. So let's get started. Welcome back to the Fearless Fostering Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Burse, LCSW, and I am joined today by one of the best humans I know, Carmen Maria Navarro. She is a foster mama. She's a bio mama. She is a storyteller and recently published author. So thank you for being here, Carmen Maria. Oh, it's an honor, Kathleen. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So I would love for you just to share a little bit about your story um, as a foster mama, how did you get started with foster care? Yeah, so my husband Steve and I have had an interest on fostering or adoption since we met. Like since the first day that we met, we talked about adoption. I talked about adoption and he talked about fostering and I didn't know anything about fostering, but I had this need since childhood to like help other kids. And I was very passionate about kids. So back in Pittsburgh years ago, we saw a documentary about Safe Families for Children, which is an organization that prevents kids going into foster care as volunteers. And we thought, oh, maybe this could be good for us. It's short term. We um, we can support children and we can support reunification. And that's how we got involved. This was um, more than 10 years ago. Wow. And so in some way, shape or form throughout the last decade, you've been involved off and on with foster care. So what is your current family situation like right now today? Yeah, today we have two biological kids at home, 14 and 10, almost 15 and 10, and then two foster kids, uh, siblings, seven and just two little ones. Oh my goodness. It's been a while (laughs) since I didn't change diapers. (laughs) It's like riding a bike. It comes right back to you, right? (laughs) Kind of. Maybe not. Maybe not some of it. Not all of it. I know. Oh my goodness. Well, I have loved just being able to have a deeper look into your foster care journey as you have been a part of this recent, most recent round of fearless fostering and just getting to know you as a person and and see your heart as a foster mama and your passion and your convictions and how you live them out is such an inspiration to me. And so I would love for you to share a little bit about this book that you just published. It's called Fostering, A Memoir of Courage and Hope. It is such a beautiful read. And I would love for you just to introduce us all to it. Yeah. But before doing that, let me tell you that I couldn't have uh, gone through this, uh, the difficult stages in, in my foster care journey, if it wasn't for you, Kathleen, and, oh. and um, your support group and the group that you form, um, it's been amazing. So we can talk a little bit about that at the end, but um, it's so, so important to have a support system and you're wonderful. So thank you. Thank you. Okay, back to uh, back to the book. Yes. So the realization that came from one particular uh, child that came into our care, her uh, fictional name is Lucy. She came to us when she was five and left when she was six. Um, but what uh, we thought it was a child that will fit as perfect as a child could fit who comes from trauma into a home, it was a rude awakening. We didn't realize how her trauma was going to impact our biological kids especially our youngest child. 
and as she was healing, my own biological child was uh, being going into a deep, deep um, depression and anxiety. And at some point in time, we had to decide what to what to do. There was a moment in which we thought she was going to be reunified. And then the social worker called us that happened as it happens in foster care and told us, no, she's up for adoption. And can you adopt her? And it was a heart wrenching decision. And that's when I realized, okay, no one prepares us for what is the impact on, on your bio kids? What do you do when you have a situation like, like this? We keep kept asking for help and we didn't get help. So, so many mm. things could have been avoided and the outcomes could have been different. Uh, we had to put a 14 day notice in California, which is we couldn't, um, we, she had to go to a different placement that was more appropriate for her needs, but it caused a significant amount of trauma and grief for all of us. Mm-hmm. And that's the story that I tell in the book. And I don't want other uh, people to go through what we went through as a family. And I think it's important to think about the voices and, uh, and, and the feelings of the permanent children in the house, because it doesn't make sense to help a foster child when you're destroying the life of your own kids. Yeah. And it's so, you know, important to have that conversation, because I think a lot of people that I talk to, you know, they are like, oh, like your bio kids will be fine. They'll be fine. They'll be fine. And like, maybe they will be like, but we don't know the answer to that. We have no idea. And so I like how you are willing to share this story. It's so vulnerable and I love your voice and it comes through so well. I mean, you're such an amazing storyteller, but what made you feel like safe enough to be that vulnerable to say like, yes, we had to make this very difficult decision. Why would you feel it was important to tell that story? Because it happens and it's almost taboo. Foster parents are idealized. They think about us as, as angels and, and it's not true. We're humans, we're people, we make mistakes and we go through um, this sometimes terrible situations that is no one's fault. And those decisions that are sometimes the best for your own family. And, and in many cases, I actually think Lucy, uh, so for uh, those who I'm going to spoil the book, but she ends up in a good place. She ends up being adopted. Uh, but it was, we were not the right fit for her and letting her go meant that she was going to go to a better, uh, a better situation. And mm-hmm. we need to be able to make those decisions and what's best for you and what's best for your family without even our own judgment. Oh, that's such a good point. And I love the way that you said that, because truly, I think we do a disservice without meaning to when we're trying to like fit this kid into a family that, you know, our no for this child might be a yes for someone else. That's a, like you said, a way better fit in this situation. Um, and I think there is a lot of guilt and shame around those decisions when they come up and they come up a lot because like you said, the case plan changes on a dime. You're thinking it's going one way, then all of a sudden, Oh, just kidding. You know, you can adapt and it's very difficult to figure it out. Yes. And the information that you receive when you start fostering is so minimum. No, Mm -hmm. you, uh, they don't share all the information. I know there's a portion that is confidential, but we should all know. We should all know the circumstances in which we're getting into. I didn't know that, for example, she had been in three prior homes and she had been removed because of aggression to other children. If I would have known that, my decision may have been different or I may have brought her in, but we would have taken different precautions. So Mm -hmm. it's so important to know the information and if the information changes and we cannot handle the situation, it's important to be true to yourself 
And I was feeling so much guilt. So it killed me. It destroyed me. It was awful. And mm-hmm. but it's important to to take a step back and recognize that even sharing that story could help others. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what were the conversations like between you and Steve when this was a conversation that had to take place about what are we going to do? Oh my goodness. It was, <laughs> it was like the uh, stages of, of grief in different moments. So we had denial, we had anger, we had a, uh, we had all the stages. So at some point I'm like, okay, we cannot do that. And he was, no, we can't, we cannot give up. Why are we here? If we're not helping her, we, we cannot let her go. And at some point I was saying the same thing. And he's like, no, but we need to think about our child. Our child is not doing well. So it was this duality until at some point, and thank goodness I have an amazing social worker from an agency. She helped us make the decision. And, And at some point she said, if, um, if you guys don't make the decision, I will have to make it because I need to uh, be uh, my, I need to mind the integrity of your family unit so you can keep fostering in the future and so you're healthy. That's actually something that I want to talk about next because you, I mean, you've gone through this traumatic thing all of a sudden and you now are saying, you're faced with the decision, should we foster again or should we not? And you guys kept going. What was that like after after Lucy went to a, a pre-adoptive home or an adoptive home? How did that look in your family? For um, well, it looked different for different people. So my youngest child, who had been uh, unfortunately not at fault of anyone because Lucy had a lot of trauma, but she had been physically attacked. So for my child, it was relief, but it was also guilt um, because we all knew that that was the reason why Lucy had left. So we had to work really hard with counseling as a family, counseling for my youngest child to make sure that we were okay with the decision. We took a vacation to just regroup. Uh, Not everyone can take a vacation, but it's just important to regroup. We started doing a lot of things that will heal. And we took six months uh, and everyone's different. For some other people, they could foster right away. Us, it took six months. And it's not that we stopped fostering. We started doing respite, which is that break that we give others. So in that respite, we try different ages to see, okay, maybe this age group doesn't work. Maybe teenagers work. Maybe little mm-hmm. ones uh, work. So that was actually very good for our family dynamic because it was not full-time commitment, but we started seeing what could work for us. Mm-hmm. I highly advise respite for those who are not 100% sure. Yes, I think that is so, so good. Um, and I just, I just love that your, your heart was so for foster care that you were like, no matter what this, you know, we're going to do what we have to do to regroup, but we're going to come back to this because it's so hard. And I've talked to a lot of people. I know you and I have shared about it. When you see, once you've seen foster care, you can't unsee it. So yes. and your choice was to keep going. And then additionally to write this book. Now I want to ask you how much time passed between you writing this book and the events that actually happened. Let's say that I was uh, writing very quickly. So Lucy left in uh, March and I was grieving very badly. And I told a friend in April, I think I want to write a book. I joined a program with Georgetown University called the Greater Institute. And on March 30, May 31st, sorry, May 31st, I started. And the book was published now. So it took a full year. But respite was happening as I was writing the book 
and I didn't know things were happening in real life. Like there is a letter that I write to the social worker saying, can you please let me see her? Mm-hmm. And I was writing the letter. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know how the end was going to be. So I held all, um, I held for a long time until the end because I don't know what the epilogue was going to be. And, mm-hmm. uh, and there's never an ending in foster care, I feel. Yeah. So that was a hard one to write. That's amazing. So did you find it was like a therapeutic type of process for you to write it, even though you were going through it at the same time? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yes. I, it was, there was a lot of healing in writing mm-hmm. and there was a lot of healing in, in sharing and sharing publicly and, and joining your group and sharing what was happening there. And we've been through a lot in, yes. in your group. We all go through knowing that we're not alone Mm-hmm. And that there are other people that understand and they go through the same and they don't judge was so important. Yeah. Oh, it was so fun for me to see everyone, you know, celebrating alongside you as the final kind of pushes were happening at the end, right before publication. I was like, everyone was like, yes, like we can't wait. <laughs> yes. but I love that. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about your future with foster care. What do you think is next for you? Do you foresee you continuing this for who knows how long, or do you have like a set time in mind of what you might do as a family? We don't have a hundred percent set in stone what we want to be doing. We know that after the kids that we currently have that have a lot of behaviors, we need to take a break. And I don't know what age we're going to be having because, um, maybe I take a break from changing diapers and sleepless (laughs) nights. (laughs) But I know we are going to be involved in foster care in one way or another. So if we finish this, the journey at some point as foster parents, we may uh, do CASA or we may volunteer in some way. I will Mm -hmm. always be an advocate of of youth. Yes, 100%. Same. (laughs) I feel like we're on that journey too. We're like, we're just closing up shop here, but we know we're not done with this work and it's never ending work. So we're going to be doing it for the long haul in some capacity. What would you say to someone who, who is thinking about fostering and is, hasn't taken that initial leap yet, or has a lot of just fear around beginning to foster? Yeah. So not everyone needs to foster. So if you have a passion for uh, youth and for helping foster um, kids, it's important to go wide wide open to, to, to what this journey is because it's difficult. It has a lot of rewards, but it's also very difficult. You have to have not only emotional support, but logistical support. Um, if you have permanent kids, it's, it's even more complex. So if you have permanent kids and in, it's important to talk as a family, to talk with your kids, obviously age appropriate to observe, to set up the house in a way that um, your kids have their own space. You have dedicated time for them, potentially separating rooms. I will never put foster kids in the same room as my biological kids again. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's so many considerations, but um, start small, I would say start start small, see how it goes. Maybe you can start as a CASA advocate. Maybe you can help do babysitter for other foster parents. You can be uh, get trauma-informed, do a lot of training and get the support system in place. Yes, so good. Such good advice from a seasoned foster mama. Um, and thanks just for being so willing to share your story because I think it's it's so helpful to other people to understand that it's not all pretty, a pretty package tied up with a bow, that there's so much 
just nuance and gray area to foster care and so much that's hard about it. And we don't, I think we do a disservice as current foster mamas if we don't talk about the hard things. Um, Cause I think we're afraid we're going to scare someone away. And maybe the caseworkers are afraid they're going to scare us away if they tell us the whole truth. But the truth is what we need to make an informed decision that's best for the kid and our family. So. Exactly. And I would not uh, change doing foster care. So we went through all of that and it helped us grow. And I will um, continue to, to be involved because that's what we foster parents do. No, we, we do it. We, we then heal and then we do, we do it again. Yeah. Just everything um, that goes through this um, uh, travels, um, it's in, in order for us to heal a child is worth it. Mm, totally. Yeah. And, and too, that, you know, you played a really integral part on Lucy's healing journey, though she didn't end up in your home forever. And I think that's important for people to realize too. It's not, you don't, just because a child doesn't end up with you forever in adoption or doesn't reunify back to their bio family, that's, there's still a happy ending and a happy middle that you have helped co-create yes. stability for this child. Yes, exactly. So thanks to the advocacy that Steve and I did, she got the services that she needed. She got counseling that she did it. She, she needed. Um, she went to a therapeutic home, which is where she needed to be. And ultimately, she healed in a way that she could be adopted. Mm-hmm. And I feel that every child that has been with, with us, um, sometimes it was heartbreaking when they left. But they, um, I hope they all got a little bit better for how we advocated for them, even the children that we have today. They, um, they have been assessed for services. They're now set up for services, medical appointments, dentist appointments. There's a lot that we can do even in a short period of time that they're with mm-hmm. us. Absolutely. Well, I want to ask you just a little bit about your experience in our group before we share um, the details of the book and where to find it with everybody. But just, you know, this is the second time that I've run this program. So I'm still learning. I'm still kind of getting my feet wet with it. But I, I feel like this has been just such a gift for me. I mean, just the, as I run it. So I would just love to hear what your experience has been, or maybe like what your favorite part of the group has been so far. Oh my goodness. For those who don't know, Kathleen has this uh, counseling a program that we get together as a group, but we all uh, now share our experiences in Marco Polo and it has become a support uh, support group that actually, I think it works almost independent than you. It's You're creating this self-sufficient now entity mm-hmm. and uh, we've become, and we're in different parts of the country and we've become unbelievable friends. I don't think I, I mean, I, I wait at the end of the day to, to hear from everyone and how their day is going. But uh, we have sessions every 15 days that are guided counseling group sessions. We have one session with you that was critical for me because it was in a, in a pivoting moment in one decision that we had to, to make. And you were so fantastic and, and guided me. But this group, we, uh, we just share Marco Polos uh, every day. We share our experiences. We give support. We ask for advice. And we grieve together and we celebrate together. And it's just an unbelievable group of women. And I love them uh, so much. And we're all in different stages, different backgrounds, uh, different beliefs, but with one common goal to um, help foster kids. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're so sweet. I literally, the Marco Polo group gives me so much life. I get so excited (laughs) when I see like the polos coming through. And you're right. At first I was like, 
you know, I'm like, oh, is this going to be too much for people? And it has, it felt like people have just been like every day we're just checking in with each other, but it feels like the right amount of support because we're just going through it. And even oh, it's Adam, amazing. Like, yeah. Like going from like a, a stressful day at court or something. I'm like the first people I talk to are like my mom, my sister and our Marco Polo group. <laughs> because I'm like, <laughs> you guys understand what I'm going through. Yes. Yes. <laughs> And then when we show each other the pictures or not the pictures, but the videos of our little ones that we cannot obviously share online. Right. Um, but it's so nice to see our own kids grow and, and, and evolve. So no, oh. it's, it's our family. So true. So true. I'm so, I've been and so we happy. love each other. I love you. I love all the women in that group. They're all fantastic, amazing women. I learn from them every day. Same. I feel like that's the, one of the benefits too, is like, we don't, I'm like, I don't have all the answers, but we can, as a group, get, get there together and work through it together. So I love that so much. Um, all right, well, let's just tell everyone the name of the book, where we can purchase it um, and how we can connect with you online. Yeah, sure. So the name of the book is Fostering a Memoir of Courage and Hope. And it ends in hope, the book, so you'll have to read it. You can find it in Amazon right now. So it's in Kindle version and then paperback. Perfect. And then if we want to follow along with your foster care journey, where can we find you like on Instagram? Yes. On Instagram, Carmen Maria Navarro. So Perfect. you have to, uh, luckily you type it without the accent. Okay. <laughs> so. I'm going to link it all up and we're going to make sure everyone can find uh, the book and your Instagram profile. And just thank you so much for this conversation and for all that you do. I'm just perpetually in awe of you and thankful for you. Oh, I'm thankful for you. It's a, yeah, it's a love fest here. It is. <laughs> it's true. I know. Yes. Thank you for everything. And wonderful job as well from your side with sharing and building awareness to, to this cause. 